You're working out at the gym when you realize that you've been coming solo for the past few weeks as your usual gym buddy, Evelyn, has been MIA. It's not like her, so on your way to the parking lot, you give her a call, but she doesn't answer. Also, unlike her. And that's when it hits you. You remember that she mentioned having a depressive episode last winter, but that was before you two were friends. And if she's having one now, would you even know what to do? And even if you did, would you have the capacity to see her through? In this episode of the Friend Forward podcast, we're finally talking about depression. You'll hear from three women on the subject as we speak with a psychologist, an emotional intelligence expert, and a young woman who shares her story of how physical assault sent her into a dark place and how honest conversations with friends got her through. Research tells us that women are nearly twice as likely as men to have had experienced depression, which means at one point it may have impacted your friendship, whether you knew it or not. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Friend Forward Podcast, powered by BetterFemaleFriendships.com. I'm Danielle Byer-Jackson, a friendship coach, educator, and author of the upcoming book, Fighting for Our Friendships. And it's my job to share the science of women's conflict and connection. So when it comes to the joys, complexities, and misconceptions surrounding these kinds of relationships, I am here to help you through it. We'll begin this episode on friendship and depression with psychologist Dr. Ayana Abrams, a licensed clinical psychologist based in Atlanta and the founder of Ascension Behavioral Health. I want to share an excerpt from our interview, but please know the full unedited interviews are always available in our members-only group chat where you can join at betterfemalefriendships.com slash group chat. But for now, let's start with the signs of depression. In order to be diagnosed clinically with a major depressive disorder, you need to have had symptoms for at least two weeks. So I asked Dr. Abrams what she looks for when she's evaluating clients. And she told me that she looks for the following things. Mood changes. So have you been more sad lately or have you noticed increased apathy? She looks for whether or not you have lost interest in the things that used to bring you pleasure. She asks about your sleep habits and how they've changed, including whether or not you're sleeping more or less. She asks about changes in your appetite. Are you overeating or comfort eating? Or in the opposite end of the spectrum, experiencing a complete loss of appetite. She also gets curious about any feelings of a loss of connection to your community, especially if you're involved in a religious community. And then loss of motivation, especially to do the simplest things like taking a shower or brushing your teeth. This is an overview of what she shared with me in an extensive conversation, but I want you to hear from her directly on this specifically, because after she provided that list, I asked her to share with me the ways that depression impacts Black women specifically, as the symptoms often don't present in the same way as others. So can you help us differentiate how it might present itself in a Black woman and what we might mistake those symptoms for? Unfortunately, what happens is that when Black women present to therapy or to clinics, they're oftentimes misdiagnosed, sometimes they're underdiagnosed, and sometimes they're overdiagnosed because it's misattributed mm. to anything else. So oftentimes what I notice in clients is Black women clients, they're less likely to exhibit the symptoms that limit their functioning, right? So they're still going to work. They are still on top of everything. They're still doing this and this and this. In fact, what I find myself looking for more is, are you over-functioning? Are you mm. overcompensating, right, for what's happening for you emotionally? Because the language that Black women have received historically, right, is that you got to keep going. You got to keep going, right? So you don't have the option to be there. I've literally had clients say like, 
I can't play around a little depression. I don't have time for depression, right? I've got to work. I've got to take care of these children. I've got to make this money. So there's not room for slowing down enough to even feel sad. So oftentimes what I'm actually paying attention to in Black women is irritability, lots of tension, right? Shoulders, neck, upper back, and tension in the knees and tension in the ankles, right? It's kind of holding stress in their body. And medically, they call that allostatic load. It's just this kind of compounding stress and stress and stress. But the ways in which Black women are more likely to talk about it is physically, not emotionally. One, due to lack of language and education, right, about the emotional piece. And two, oftentimes when Black women express emotional vulnerability, they can get really penalized for it. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes in environments that are culturally and emotionally safe for them to tell the full truth of what they are experiencing. So usually what I'm looking out for are physical symptoms or they are talking about a lot of relationship conflict, right? That all this stress is also going external and I am just, there's just arguments here. I'm not feeling satisfied here. Nobody can do this and this and this and this, this. So usually I'm then using that to pull into some emotional symptoms and what you are noticing if you didn't feel so irritated with this and if you weren't, you know, yelling about this, what would you feel under that? And if I can get them to talk about sadness, then we're having a whole different conversation. But oftentimes people aren't asking them, well, what's under, right, some of that? Nobody's asking that. They just see you as angry. They see you as irritable. They see you as even oftentimes Black women aren't even allowed to be anxious, right? They're just mm. seen as being difficult to deal with. Mm. You know, something's coming up for me as I hear you break this down so beautifully. I'm so glad that there's so much conversation around mental health, but 15 years ago, there wasn't. And I remember having a friend, and I'm thinking of her the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking I'm going through this experience. Um, Black friend, we grew up in our church together, close friends. And she did start getting kind of irritable and acting out when we would go out. And um I feel like popping off at me randomly and being like, okay, what's going on? And, you know, at the time I didn't have children. I was a, I was overwhelmed with my own stuff. I was a high school teacher. I'm staying late and grading papers. I had my own stuff. And I know she had kids and she had up and downs with the boyfriends and all the, st- all the things. But I got into a place where the new dysfunction had become normal. And I found myself thinking and talking to other friends about like, I don't know what's going on with her, but she this and this and that. And I tried to be helpful and she came at me. And then eventually kind of like faded out because I kind of withdrew because I'm like, what's going on? And before I knew it, we kind of just weren't hanging out, kind of weren't speaking. And do you know, a year later, she sent me an email and she said, "Um, I just want you to know that I was really depressed and you were not there. And, um, and whoa, I it oh it's sad. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling some kind of way because I wish I knew the kinds of things you were sharing back then, but I did not know better. You know, you're I'm not scrolling on on TikTok. That wasn't a thing. Looking at things and thinking, hey, maybe that's my friend. If I could be honest, I had my own stuff. I was trying to survive day to day, pay back student loans while I was teaching and pick up a second job. You know, I I had my own stuff and I just experienced she's coming at me. She's always got some drama going on. And, you know, we always get the message, man, you don't need friends who are always bringing you down. You, you know what I'm saying? So I'm doing my best. But to get that email, I felt so guilty um, that she felt unsupported and unseen, but I didn't know. And so I'm just so grateful. I know I'm having a moment, I suppose, because I wish I could go back 
and show up better, but I just didn't know. And so I'm just so grateful for the way that you're kind of outlining all of this. And that that, that I found myself even just, even just tearing up because I wish you both knew, right? Because oftentimes when we are experiencing something, we wouldn't even know that, oh, this could be related to something bigger than this, right? So I wish that she also had some language and then to know that, oh, something's going on. I know I'm showing up as more irritable. I know I've been snapping at you. I know it's been hard to be around me. I know, right? Even that would have been helpful for you to know. Yeah. And as well as it would have been helpful for me to know like, oh, this could mean something else, right? And oftentimes, because we don't understand this more, and even if we do kind of have an understanding of this more, it's really difficult to navigate, well, how much can I actually deal with till it begins affecting me, right? When someone else is irritable, when someone else is snapping at me, I'm also really hurt by this, right? And that is also something that's really difficult to navigate depending on the mental health concerns and depending on how that shows up because it does really impact your relationships. And it doesn't mean that she is to blame, but she is responsible for how she also treated people. So with that being said, how does a person who's going through depression advocate for themselves without starting to feel friends, withdraw or misunderstand and all that good stuff? Mm-hmm. I like how you said that because there's that part one, how do I advocate for myself? And oftentimes when I work with clients, they latch it onto this part two. How do I advocate for myself and make sure people stay around, right? And we mm. can't control the part two of it. And that's often what stops us from advocating for ourselves in different ways is where the shame comes up, the stigma comes up. But if you do have some self-awareness that something feels different, something feels off, something's changing, you don't know what it is, you're worried about it, I'm scared, I've noticed this, that's exactly what you want to be able to communicate to people. Oftentimes, when I work with clients, they will not share with other people until they know exactly what's going on, mm. until they have figured it out, until they have a plan of what to do next. And then now I can tell people and I'm going to break down parts one through five. This is what's going on. This is when I noticed it. This is how it's affecting me. This is what I'm doing about it. Hey, I wanted to let you know. I said, listen, you are only trying to communicate to people once you've contained the mess versus being in the mess and the vulnerability right of the mess and sharing from this really messy place. I have noticed that for the past three months, I've been a sh- oh, can I curse? Sorry. Uh, I have been not a great friend to you. <laughs> Sorry. Let it out. Um, I am just like looking back and like thinking about the last like interaction that we had and like I was just, that was not cool. I snapped on you. And like, I don't know where that came from. So on the flip side, you know, when I think about younger Danielle and I think about women who in their heart really do want to be supportive, but to what you said, might be experiencing the negative sides of that. And they're wondering, well, gosh, I mean, how long am I expected to endure her, you know, not being responsive when I reach out to her or like kind of snapping on me? Like, to what extent do I endure that, you know, and how do I show up for her? I want to, but for how long and what way? For the friend who has good intentions and wants to show up for her friend who's depressed, how do we do that? I think that is a great question. And that's going to be also unique to the different people. We have different boundaries for different reasons. So if you've had an experience where, you know, this is actually significantly affecting your mental health, you do need to set some different boundaries around that. Still do what you need to do. There's a way in which we can set boundaries and also communicate what's happening. Hey, you know, I've just noticed kind of the past few months, things have felt really icky between us. And I don't know what's going on. Like we used to love doing this. And I've just noticed that those interactions between us feel differently. Have you noticed that I'm trying to not make up stories about what's happening, but I have found that, you know, it's been a little bit more difficult to hang out in this setting or something like that, right? So being honest about how you are experiencing the other person, but also how it's affecting you, it could be an inroad, right, to kind of having a different kind of conversation. But again, that still takes being courageous enough to take that risk to say, this is how I'm experiencing you. The people who are experiencing depressive symptoms and depressive issues 
want to be good friends. They want to be there for you. They want to know what is going on, right? They are feeling kind of taken over by a lot of their symptoms. But them hearing that you do still want a friendship with them and that you are being affected by this, while it might be difficult for them to hear, it doesn't mean that it's not so important and valuable for them to hear. And while there are health issues, again, because it's a medical issue, right? While there are health issues that show up for us kind of across a lifetime, right? You being able to support a friend by being honest is really going to be the thing that kind of helps with the intimacy of it. Even if in that honesty, it means I might need to take a step this direction or this direction or this direction. It's that intimacy that still could actually lead to connection, right? Even if it feels like it wouldn't lead to connection. But people who are also navigating mental health struggles also still deserve honesty. The vulnerability and the honesty and the intimacy of what is happening and how this is affecting the friendship is really, really, really important. Dr. Abrams is obviously so wise, so compassionate and knowledgeable, and her insights helped me immediately after this interview. A few weeks after this conversation, I was having breakfast with a friend who casually mentioned something a bit unusual, and I forced myself to hush and listen as she spoke, and my brain began lighting up. I was thinking, oh my gosh, these are all the things Dr. Abrams was just talking about in our interview, and I was able to recognize them and show up in a way that I do not think I would have known to do before. And I'm so grateful for opportunities to speak with these experts and bring these conversations right back to you. Our conversation was also helpful as I listened to a story from a young woman named Triana, a recent Howard graduate in her mid-20s who's now working in the mental health space. Triana shared with me that she experienced a traumatizing sexual assault during her first year on campus and the way that it impacted her mental health and therefore her friendships. I always say I've been through a lot in life and I've been blessed to overcome those challenges, but I never knew life could get that dark. It got extremely dark for me and it was hard on my family and on my friendships. I was spiraling due to the PTSD from the assault. I was isolating or the depression. And my anxiety was high. I trusted nobody. Everybody became an outsider and it was only me in this world that I could trust. So that affected our friendship a lot because of that. And also my friend that I thought I could depend on. We were friends since middle school. At this point, I was, it was my first year of college. When we went to the same college and this friend that I thought that I could depend on from my perspective, isolated me and wasn't talking to me. I learned later that it was more of her dealing with what happened to me and not knowing what to say, how to be there, but not having her in the way that I thought that I would really affected our friendship in a lot of ways. I asked Rihanna how she advocated for herself and her friendships when she knew that she needed support. Here's what she told me. I was trying to communicate, but it wasn't coming off clearly, if that makes sense. Because I was so fragile and so full of, I mean, to be quite frank, I was angry. So everything came out like, I need you to do this. I need you. And it was, it was like, it was almost overwhelming to the people around me. And it wasn't until, until I got into therapy and I was kind of coming out of it that I was able to say, this is what I needed. This is how I needed you to show up. This is why I did this. But in the moment, it was very, I was advocating for myself in the best way that I could. I also asked Triana about what her advice would be for others who are going through something similar. I would just say, be honest with your friends. Tell them, hey, I am going through something traumatic and I need space. It may be hard to say at the time, but do your best to try to provide as much information 
as you can as far as what you're going through and just let them know that the way that you can help me is and tell them whatever you need. That may change every day, but keeping that communication, being honest, authentic, even if it's, hey, I'm pissed off today. I don't want to talk right now. I will be back later. That's enough to maintain friendships instead of having it kind of blow up like mine did. It takes work. I think people think that friendships just work out just because you're friends. And it's like, no, friendships takes work as well. Romantic relationships aren't the only relationships that you have. Friendships are relationships and they do take work, especially as you grow and as you mature in this life. And I have been blessed to have a friend that I've been friends with since middle school who we've adjusted a lot and it took some work, but it was very worth it. It's very, very worth it. And finally, I spoke with a woman named Farah Harris, a belonging and workplace well-being expert and licensed psychotherapist who often speaks about emotional intelligence. And she began our interview by sharing her own experience with mental health. So I've had postpartum depression twice. So I have three kids and two of them are boys. And those two boys, postpartum, definitely hit and was definitely more challenging the second time around. So I often tell folks, and I'm an open book, 2019 was literally the worst year of my life with the extreme severity of the postpartum depression. I also have received a late diagnosis of ADHD last year at the young age of 42. And I'm also in the, I guess, rediscovering myself through this diagnosis and assessing my previous experiences of depression, not postpartum depression, but depression and how it links to ADHD. Farah went on to tell me about how she told her friends what she needed and how much of a challenge it was to overcome the strong friend stereotypes so that she could get the support that she needed. Something I really admire about your approach is how you were able to clearly say, this is what I'm going to need. And the reason I'm both in admiration, but also a little surprise is because I know that there are some women who, especially Black women, if we are parentified from an early age or whatever it is, and we learn to be self-sufficient, and I got it, and you're raising your hand to say like, yes, I wonder if there are women listening who are like, oh gosh, I wish I could give myself permission to soften in that way and to mm. say, I need help without feeling like I'm weak, without feeling like I'm imposing on them. I, I mean, how do you get through that? Because I think that's our biggest barrier to asking for help. I love that you asked this question because I realized probably around my early 20s, I'm the eldest of three and there's a big age gap. So I was like the second mom, quote unquote. I know my role in my friends group where, you know, I'm the one that people look to. I'm the the strong friend, that kind of a thing. And when I recognized in one instance with a friend when we were back in college, a moment of vulnerability where I started to cry and she had never seen me cry. And she was like, I don't know what to do with your tears. I think those were literally her words. I don't know what to do with your tears. And I was like, oh, hell to the no, no, no. Like this ain't going to work for me. Like, how are y'all not seeing that I also need to be soft, to be tender. And my boyfriend, who is now my husband, you know, he even acknowledged, he's like, I'm not going to front. I kind of have you on this, this pedestal. And I was like, well, kick me off because that's not fair. 
it's not safe for me. It's not safe for you. It's not healthy. And it doesn't give me space to have a full human experience. So when I would meet new friends, as I've, you know, in the last couple of decades, I'm just very upfront. Like, you're going to have to let me be me. Because if you want the best of me, you're going to have to get me when I'm tender. You're going to have to get me when I'm quote unquote strong, but I believe tenderness is a strength. And I think because of the more I've kind of put out that narrative at the jump, they're able to respond in the same way. Because I want you to feel tender. I don't want you to hide your tears. I don't want you to feel like you need to be strong or what society claims strong looks like. I want us to have a full range of emotions. I want to be able to be angry with you. I want you to be able to vent to me. I want you to be able to check me. <laughs> it's what I'm angry about is not nah, far. This, this is you. But I picked that up early. I was like, oh, y'all look at me a certain way in a way that I didn't really see myself. And it's like, yeah, yeah I can be self-sufficient. Yes, I'm, I'm a natural leader. And at the same time, I cry. At the same time, I hurt. And if you don't give me space to do that, I'm going to resent you. And this is not going to be a healthy relationship. And so in a way, I kind of had to chip away, for those who have known me longer, a perception of me that just did not serve me well. Mm-hmm. And it's just been easier with newer friendships because they don't have the history. They just kind of like, oh, you seem cool, whatever. Yo, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, right up front. I'll even let them know in advance. Like if I fear the tears coming, I'm like, hey, I'm feeling really tender right now. Give me a moment. And they sit with me in that. And I want that to be reciprocal in my relationships. For the friend who, in a way, is needing to level up or elevate their emotional intelligence when a friend is going through a mental health crisis or just life, is to ask yourself, how am I feeling? Like, how does this experience of my friend is making me feel? What is triggering that? And how do I want to respond that serves both me and my friend well? Because if it is like someone's going through grief and you're uncomfortable with grief, what do you need to do (laughs) to get more comfortable Mm -hmm. with that? What's the story behind that? Have you not fully grieved your own, maybe a grandparent or loved one? So maybe it's unearthing some additional work that you need to do. But I think it's important to not fall into this trap of, well, I've always been this way, or I don't deal with that kind of stuff, right? Because that is a low emotional intelligence response. That is being comfortable in whatever dysfunction (laughs) or whatever may have worked for you in the past, but I promise you it's probably not going to serve you in the future. So it is, you know, putting on your big girl panties and going like, ah, this doesn't make me feel comfortable. I don't feel confident in this role of being the supporter. I don't feel confident in this role of managing these emotions. Okay, well, maybe this is a great time for you to process that either with a therapist, with another friend, but work through your stuff so that you can actually show up better for somebody else. For the friend who's now on the receiving end of the loved one with the low (laughs) EQ in the circumstance, I I know, again, it seems like, well, that seems so simple, Farah, but I know that's not easy. When I say extend grace and empathize, but also set up boundaries. If someone is just really, really dead set in being in their way of not growing or stretching themselves while you are in this moment, it probably will be best to put up an emotional boundary so that you don't get hurt by how they respond. What does that look like? I'm curious. Yeah. So that may look like, man, I really want to talk to Danielle right now. 
but she just doesn't seem like she can actually deal with this. I'm going to now have to process the grief. So now you're doing your own EQ check-in. This is bringing up grief for me. This is bringing up disappointment. This is bringing up all these things. I think that at some point I may want to share this with her, but not right now, not while the emotions are raw. So I'm going to have to, you know, maybe this is where you pivot to another part of your community. Maybe this is where, you know, you do some of that self-care work, even though you can't really have self-care absence of community. So you still need a person or persons, but you have to kind of let them, I don't want to say let them go, like they're never coming back, but let them go in this season. Mm -hmm. Once you've processed those emotions of maybe resentment, disappointment, grief, all of the things to be able to articulate it to them, if you think that the relationship is worth saving, and if you feel that this is an opportunity for them to grow and bring even more connection. People feel like conflict separates, but more often than not, if you handle the conflict in a healthy way, it actually brings you closer because two of you have gone through something difficult together and that like binds you. If they haven't done their work, simply to say, I know you didn't mean to, but I was hurt. It made me feel as if fill in the blank. And I just wanted to tell you this because I love you and care about you. And I just want to know going forward, how will this look? You know, and this is an opportunity for them to go like, yeah, I didn't know what to do. What did you want me to do? Because next time you go through a depressive episode, I want to show up better. What could I have done? And it could have been like, girl, you could have just called me. Yeah. <laughs> like, we don't eat. And you were like, I didn't know it was that simple, but I don't, I don't advocate to remain in silence when a friend has disappointed you and you think that they actually have the emotional quotient to be able to hear and receive the feedback. I wouldn't encourage you to to have that dialogue. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us would like to think I'm a good friend. I am a good friend, but like looking at the ways in which my personal hangups, complexes, triggers might impact the kind of friend I can be when they need me in hard times. And it's just like a message that we don't too often talk about because it's not a feel-good message, right? So if you've recognized, oh my gosh, my friend is going through, I can't show up for them. What is it that I need to work on? Because I would hate to be going through my thing and they don't show up for me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I want to just nip any type of hypocrisy in the butt. (laughs) Like, let's deal with it. But a lot of times people don't want to deal with their stuff. Because sometimes their stuff is because of trauma. Yeah. It's like, man, if I unpeel this layer of the onion, what else is underneath? Mm-hmm. I've been doing my best to cover up all of whatever that is. And now this person that I love is going through something and I can't show up for them because of this thing that I will not address in my own mm-hmm. life. And it's like, okay, well, now you're going to have very anemic relationships because you're not taking the time to do the work to actually foster not just growth in your relationship, but growth within yourself. Yeah. So you want to limit yourself. Okay. You're also limiting relationships you have. Right. Oh my God. That's like a whole sermon. That's so good. And I'm so glad that this conversation took a turn into emotional intelligence and conflict because I guess they are connected. And I think, again, maybe it's a disservice to have such large public general messaging around mental health and friendship be like, just support your friend. Be there for your friend. Because what do I do with that? Speaking with these three women helped to illuminate for me a couple things. First, it showed just how invisible depression can be when the women going through it 
feel the need to go through it alone, and when friends on the outside don't know what to look for. It also emboldened me to say how nuanced this conversation really is and oversimplified rhetoric like, just show up for your friends. It's sometimes insufficient when we don't know what our friend needs. We don't know what to look for. And sometimes if we're being real, we don't think we can mentally handle being somebody else's support system, especially when we're going through our own stuff. What then? So I'm glad that these ladies were able to help answer that. And finally, these conversations also encouraged me to be okay with not always having the right answer. It gave me permission to say, I don't know what to say or do, but I want to show up for you. For a woman who's experiencing depression, I hope that she feels emboldened to say, I don't know what I need right now, but I want you to know what I'm going through. And it gives us permission as friends to figure it out together instead of making assumptions, shying away, and rejecting support. So here we go. As your new official friendship coach, here's your homework. Listen closely. If you're currently in a season of depression, I encourage you to talk to your friend about it. A large study from 2020, a meta-analysis, found that the number one preventer of depression is having someone to talk to. So open up to your friends to share exactly what's happening in your life to the degree that you feel comfortable. And if you're listening and you're a friend being leaned on for support, give yourself permission to not know the answer, but work with your friend to figure out ways that you can tangibly demonstrate the support and the love that you feel on the inside and ways that feel doable for you. If this is something you're struggling with, I highly encourage you to join our group chat because this week it is rich with the full interviews for each of these conversations. And I think you'll benefit from more of the details. You can also come talk to us anytime on Instagram at friendforward or send us a message 24-7 at betterfemalefriendships.com. Until then, I'll be right here rooting for you always on your ongoing journey toward better female friendships. Until next time. 